down the far side. Got a man open in the end zone. Stills grabs a touchdown. Kenny Stills. What a pair of hands. Layman showing blitz. There's the blitz. yesterday, man, they're scared. Damn scared. They're scared, and that's not to our advantage. You're up against a scared man, a scared team. Super job, you're a champion, undisputed champion. All right, everybody, welcome to the Bud, Barry, Bob, and Beer podcast. I'm your host today, Kami Amurabi, and joined by Stephen Brown. Stephen, it's actually kind of like it's not too bad, like hot out today. It's kind of a nice day. Tomorrow's supposed to be a little bit, you know, a little bit, a uh, little bit nicer. When I say nice, I mean like in the middle of the eighties. How are we doing? It's good. Yesterday was brutal. Yesterday, I think it was like eighty-three in my room. I was just like exhausted, just from sitting in the heat all day. But uh, today's not too bad. I actually went out. Didn't work at at home today. I went up to uh, the collective and kind of spent mm. a couple hours there working. So it's been pretty good. Gosh, like you look at the actual temperature and then you look at the heat index and there's those are like two totally different numbers. But, you know, it's Oklahoma. It's summertime and we still have chances for hail like crazy every week. It's fun. But uh, no, we, we've got a lot of right stuff. Now. Cool. Hail. Down. Gosh, yeah. Hail to cool down. I mean, that's what's happening tomorrow. That's why tomorrow's supposed to be super cool, I suppose. But Oklahoma just got another commitment. There is an announcement tomorrow uh, as far as another commitment in Oklahoma got Zion Regents. Um, you look at his recruit profile and he is anywhere between five, seven and five, nine. I am assuming those were with cleats on and off and anywhere between 150 pounds and 170 pounds. So nobody is clear on that or which recruiting service is clear on that. But I mean, you already made the kind of distinction for this uh, and comparing him to Marquise Brown or more known as Hollywood. So to tell us about Zion, I mean, you're the one that made the direct comparison. Uh, Those guys have speed for days. What do they bring to the table or what does he bring to the table other than that speed? I suppose. Yeah, with Zion, uh, I think it's Raggins. Maybe it's Ragins. I've heard Raggins, but we won't know until like media day, something like that. Right. But uh, yeah, just a dude that, that is tremendously fast in the same way that that Hollywood was a guy that has a lot of body control with his speed. And that's kind of what separates him from just another fast guy. Right. So mm-hmm. he can slow down in the air, you know, he can kind of, uh, you know, he has the hands to, to go up in the air and get stuff. Whereas, you know, other guys are just built for speed and they just run down there. And if the ball falls to him, that's great. But Zion's a guy that can go up there. He can grab a 50, 50 ball, assuming the, the, the DB is less than six feet tall. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, he's a tremendous wide receiver. I made the comparison to Hollywood Brown. I think everyone's going to make the comparison to Hollywood Brown. Uh, but he's just another guy that you look at Levy's offense and you look at the guys he brought in with Petaway, uh, Brennan Thompson, and and now Zion Raggins. That's just a ton of speed all over the field. 
Yeah, I mean, and that's one of the big things in Jeff Levy's offense, right? Is you need space, sure, space and pace, uh, but also, man, it makes it exponentially more difficult for that defense, especially when the opposition is really, really, really fast. So not only are you gassed because of how fast they're lining up, running plays, but the guys in general just fast, and you can't keep up. And that's pretty significant. I mean, he's a guy that, like you would say, you just mentioned, he's not just like just running and just happens to run to a ball. I mean, he can make some plays in the open field. As far as his mobility, I suppose, would you say he's more of a straight line runner or would you say he's more of kind of like a water bug kind of agility or like a one cut guy? Like, where would you say he is as far as mobility uh, east to west? I think he's more of a one-cut guy, but he, he shows some wiggle on film. I don't think he's anywhere just like a stiff one-direction guy. Like, uh, I'm trying to think, maybe like a J.J. Hester is pretty fast, and he mm-hmm. he's just a straight-line guy. But the way I think they'll use him is I think they'll put him in the slot, and they'll pair him with, what, Petaway or Brennan Thompson on the outside, and then you make the safety decide which guy he wants to cover because they're both going to be fast, and one can cut over the middle. The other one's just going to take you deep. So it's a pretty potent mix for, for Jeff Flavi there. And it's it's a big it's a big commitment for Oklahoma. I mean, what they have like now, if you if you count carry on what they have like five wide receivers already committed or five wide receivers, outside guys, pass catchers already committed in this class. Do you think they intend to add more? I mean, they have quite a few guys going out. Of course, they had guys transfer out as well. Right. I mean, you have like Zion Kearney, um, you said Ivan carry on and then um was a KJ Daniels out of Louisiana. Uh, that's four already. And I think the only guy that they would go out and get, assuming they could get him, is Terry Bussey, who's a tremendous athlete. He's a guy that has a ton of speed. He's got some wiggle. I think you could relate him to like a Jalen Waddle from Alabama. Um, but that would be the only other guy that, that would kind of jump off the page and say, hey, that's a guy we must have. Like everyone else, I don't think there's a spot for. Okay. That makes sense. I mean, it's it's just wild to look at the scholarship distribution chart where they are loaded with some seniors. I mean, uh, you've got then you have you have your Julio Farouk uh, over there with the juniors. And then there's just like this massive gap of guys that didn't that are not sophomores uh, and then just transfers that are that are coming into the program. So. Oklahoma definitely needing that wide receiver depth for sure. And so Oklahoma has a commitment to watch out for uh, tomorrow within the next 24 hours in Taylor Tatum. He's a running back from Texas. He's a five-star composite on two, four, seven. Some recruiting services rate him as the number one running back in the class. He's a guy seems like is pretty compact, but has hands as far as like being able to catch the ball in the slot etc and is a patient runner between OU and USC which way do you really feel like this is going I mean if it feels like it's a sooner lean I mean ever since Oklahoma made the baseball pitch as well but how would you see him fitting into Oklahoma and how do you feel about his game in general if he were to join the Sooners yeah it's kind of like the worst kept secret right now that's just kind of what recruiting is, well, the crystal balls and the predictions and stuff like that. 
Um, this afternoon, you saw crystal balls from like Jerry Hamilton and a USC insider, um, basically pegging Taylor Tatum over to OU. So um, fully expect Taylor Tatum to be a sooner tomorrow, um, assuming nothing changes in the next 12 to 18 hours, something like that. Right. But uh, Tatum, a guy that kind of jumps off the pages, like maybe a Trevor, uh, Trevor Etienne from Clemson, a guy that strong runner, a lot of speed. Um, I don't think he has the top end speed that ETN has, but he also has a little more wiggle to his game than ETN. Um, and also a guy that can help you in the passing game, can run routes, uh, can kind of slot into that, that, uh, that Joe Mixon role, if you will. Yeah. He's a little bit, he was a little bit smaller. It's about like, he's a little bit below six feet, but he is a guy that packs a punch. I mean, he is obviously highly sought after. I mean, for a lot of programs, Alabama was after him. Everybody was after him. Just came down to USC, Oklahoma. And I mean, does he, does he start his freshman year or not start? Does he play his freshman year? Oklahoma already has a slew of running backs in that room that are ready to contribute with Javante Barnes, with Gavin Sawcheck. You already look, you already liked what you've seen in Dalen Smothers. Does a Taylor Tatum come in and also compete for, for playing time? if he commits and then signs on the dotted line for their, the uh, letter of national intent or intention. What is it? National letter of intent. That, that's where it is. That's there what, you that's go. The name. NIL and LI. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You would think, you know, guys being that ranking that they're promised some sort of playing time, but he's a guy that also likes baseball. He's a two sport athlete. So um, where a lot of guys spend that, that winter getting ready for the, the, uh, the fall, He's a guy that's probably going to play some baseball here or there. Um, may not be as ahead on the playbook. May not have, you know, the time in the weight room that maybe someone else has. So um, I could see him, you know, vying for some playing time. But I don't think he would start, per se, unless he just has, like, an outstanding summer. Yeah, I mean, and I wouldn't expect him to start either. I just wonder if he would get playing time how much it would realistically be knowing that saw chuck can do a lot of the similar things that tatum can and would have already been in jerry schmidt's strength and conditioning program for like what three years now uh or two years ongoing so i would go ahead and give him the nod as well but who knows between now and next season a lot of things can change but you also have like dalen smothers who's a guy that we we both like he's a guy that needs some weight so he might, may not get his chance until next season. Um, and you also have Caleb Hicks there. So you have a pretty loaded running back room. I think mm-hmm. most people expect that one of those guys are going to jump in the portal at some point. And that's, that's a problem you're just going to live with. Yep. It was one of the things I was thinking. I was like, man, especially because last class we talked about it, like they're really taking that many running backs. I mean, at the same time, they needed it. Uh, but now you are going after other guys and it doesn't look like uh, Caden Durham is going to come to fruition. It looks like he's going to LSU to play football and track. Is that what the kind of diagnosis there is? We were told that it wasn't looking too good. I, I double checked with somebody and they're, they kind of pumped the brakes on it a little bit. I think LSU is absolutely alive in that recruitment. Um, if anything, it's 50, 50 still, but. Whereas we kind of thought maybe LSU is taking, taking the edge. I think it's still kind of in that middle ground. But it's one to watch. I don't think Caden Durham to Oklahoma is like a surefire thing. Right. And he is from a very, very big Texas stronghold. And like, well, uh, 
uh, in Duncanville. Not Duncanville. Yeah, in Duncanville. Yeah. And, and on I love on the front of their jerseys, it just says the Ville, which is pretty cool. And so going on to the next guy that is highly coveted, not just by the Sooners, but by everybody in the nation, is Williams uh, Winery. Five-star, elite de- defensive lineman, can play outside, inside, has quick hands, quick twitch, is a massive human being. That guy, that guy gets a lot of playing time. <laughs> Day one, yeah. Most likely, yeah. It kind of depends on the front, but I don't think. Let's assume Oklahoma lands Williams when they and signs sure. him. He's a guy that's he's going to get enough playing time as a freshman. He's a guy that I mean, I like him to like Chase Young as far as talent. High praise from Stephen Brown, but I mean, like. <laughs> The tape doesn't lie. I mean, the guy is playing at the highest levels of of football right there where he's at, and he's just making look up, making other guys just look absolutely silly, especially in those camps where they go. He's highly rated in a top five prospect for those specific reasons. And so and any other recruiting things that we should keep our eyes on, our ears on, et cetera? Well, we both heard today. I don't think it's too much of a secret, but I want to. We'd be kind of vague about it, just not stepping any any toes. But uh, you look at Oklahoma and like Dominic McKinley. What's going on there? Where where LSU is? They seem to be struggling to make up that ground we thought they were going to make up by now. So you know, what does that mean for Oklahoma? Do the, what are their chances? I think Oklahoma's still in a pretty good chance to uh, to land Dominic McKinley, but we'll see what LSU does. Yeah. That's a, that's, I mean, it's still July. That's that, that's the, yeah, that's the thing where on on this. there's a lot of uh, optimism out there. And I just want to pump the brakes at times because it's LSU. Like, come on. They usually close yeah. off the state of Louisiana and they get whoever they want and they have the money to do so. So yeah, maybe there's some strained relationships there with the Dominic, with Dominic McKinley's family. Uh, but, you know, cutting a check here, there can, can mend stuff pretty quick. Yeah, I just, I just have to keep on reminding myself it's July. Uh, either if it's people suggesting that Oklahoma's recruiting is just subpar, even though they are consistently climbing like each week because they keep on getting a four or five star guy or a four star guy yeah. each week. Um, and this week it looks like it might be a four and a five star guy. Um, and so they've just and next consistently week you have, have been climbing three. Three yeah. decisions coming up with Eugene Bra- uh, Eugene Brooks, sorry, mm-hmm. um, out of California, deciding between Oklahoma and Texas. Uh, Michael Patterson McDonald on the thirty first, uh, which Moore. is a very interesting one. That's another guy that that is really good friends with uh, David Stone. So now you have Jaden Jackson, and assuming Michael Patterson. So it's okay, McDonald, see you guys. We'll see. We'll see where it leads. But you're looking at a class like I look at last year. Uh, about this time, and you're looking at class like David Hicks, Jordan Renaud, Colton Vosick, who's already committed, uh, and then like outside chances of like Edric Hill, Cade McDonald. Obviously, that didn't work out, but now you look yep. at this class, and you have legit shots at Williams Winery, David Stone, Nigel Smith. You already have Jaden Jackson committed, Dominic McKinley, uh, Danny Okoye, and the, and the kid out of uh, out of Allen, Texas, Umi mm. Zulu, something like that, that almost mm. no one talks about. So. It's uh, it's pretty interesting. 
does this seem any different than years past in which Oklahoma, it's like, oh man, they could land all seven of these guys and then Oklahoma ends up maybe with one or two? Or does this seem like Oklahoma get hit on three or four of these guys? It feels like they could land a majority of those guys. And, and the reason being, you look at last year and all the talk like, okay, David Hicks, right? He's going to commit to Oklahoma and, you know, six hours before now you see guys flipped in Texas A&M. Sure. And that was all about money. And Oklahoma just didn't want to play that game at the time. And now you look, you know, fast forward to a year later and all the talk is OU has really impressed on the NIL. Like, and it's not just like local guys, like national guys are saying, Hey, Oklahoma is the real deal now in NIL. And we don't know, you know, let's say Florida or Texas A&M, like they might, may not be able to outbid them. Yeah, Oklahoma seemingly has fully pivoted, and a lot of recruits, as soon as they come away, um, whether they're committed or not, always say that, I mean, going to Oklahoma and actually getting to Oklahoma really opened their eyes to the recruitment, and uh, I mean, even Jaden Jackson said it. I mean, he, I, mean, I know there's like some backdoor dealings and rumors of like hey i'm not gonna come to norman to play football unless you are etc with certain guys that are familiar with each other but just getting guys on campus has been a really 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 big thing for oklahoma in particular uh developing relationships with the coaching staff and everybody else um but what we also have for you guys today is a bunch of over and unders looking at last season in hindsight especially hindsight is 2020 uh, you can see it pretty clearly, but the numbers don't always make sense. Uh, before Stephen and I were actually podcasting, I mentioned these numbers like actually look pretty decent for Oklahoma for the most part. However, there aren't that many stats on the amount of possessions per game or the amount of three and outs per game. And that would really tell uh, a big story as well for this Oklahoma offense more in particular, but we're going to set some over and unders, but also acknowledge the over and unders from last year as well. And so let's say uh, real quick. My, my roommate is sending me all these pictures of Skip Bayless at uh, oh Sushi Nico. And you can see this kid behind him with his arms up doing like a surrender code, but just in awe of Skip Bayless right there standing in front of him. It's pretty funny. Skip Bayless. Uh, Skip Bayless is an interesting guy because they did what's their what what was his show and with shannon sharp first undisputed yeah and i remember f not that long ago they mentioned that they were having trouble replacing shannon sharp but the reality of the situation is i think they're having more trouble finding a personality that will go on air with skip bayless is that more well, accurate he Skip Bayless is on a hiatus as he discovers who he wants to debate with. Okay. That, I mean, if that's his angle, but we all kind of, it's no coincidence. Not a lot of people want to work with the man. I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there. Uh, but Hey, you know, he likes to flex is, his muscles. Uh, Richard Sherman. Oh, that would that's gonna get worse. 
that would that those arguments would be worse than uh, him and Shannon Sharp. I feel. I mean, like. we, I could just pause the the podcast. We'll go ask him real quick. Like, what's yeah, going on with true. the undisputed? He's gonna keep on drinking his Diet Mountain Dew and flexing his muscles <laughs> and wearing. You know, it's whatever. Anyways, let's go to the team stuff. Last year, Oklahoma actually averaged 32.8 points a game. So basically roughly 33 points a game. Didn't feel like that sometimes. I mean, <laughs> I just didn't feel like that sometimes. So with that in mind, and then we also have to keep in mind, Oklahoma lost their left tackle. Oklahoma lost their right tackle. They lost their main uh, tight end. They lost their main wide receiver. They lost their running back. Uh, they lost a lot of production. Where would you set Oklahoma's points per game this year as an over and under? It's an interesting thing because you you do lose so much production, but you also think maybe the offense, you know, a year later has a better understanding of what they want to do. The coaching staff, you know, better pacing uh, defensively. You know, they're not giving up as many big plays, so. Uh, you're going to get the ball back in, in better scenarios other than just kick off. So I think it would be a little bit higher, but I, I don't think it'd be too much higher. I think mean, that 34 points per game. Yeah. And that's, that's something that I struggle with. I was surprised when I saw that Oklahoma averaged essentially 33 points a game last year, because it just didn't feel like that. Um, I, I was going to put it at like 31 and a half. Uh, just simply, like you mentioned, they're, you're losing production. Could just be they're getting used to the new offense. It's very stop and go. There was not any familiarity really between these players and Dylan Gabriel. You had a you know a two game hiatus between Dylan Gabriel and his players and his receivers and yada yada um, it, because of the injury he took um, in Fort Worth and uh, against TCU. And so I would say 31 and a half, somewhere around there. I think, of course, he'll score more than four touchdowns a game. Anything over 35 seemed pretty high to me uh, just because of what I saw last year. Maybe it's just that biases that I have it, but I'm I'm not I'm just I'm not I'm just not sold on it. And um, I mean, are you convinced Oklahoma can score more than 34 points per game? Or do you think you would take the slight under on that? If you were I think to I would take the up. over. Okay. Because the Big 12, it's not bad, but it's there's not as many high-end teams mm -hmm. uh, in the Big 12 this season. Um, assuming like another TCU doesn't pop out, right? But sure. Um, it's supposed give, like, to be you know, Texas every defense. year. Right. I mean, Texas looks like a very imp impressive squad. But outside of that, I mean, who's the juggernaut? There's, sure. there's really not one. So, uh I would take the over. I think it would just be just slightly over, but I think they'll do better offensively just because, you know, A, better defense, B, more seasoned players. My only question mark here would be, you know, maybe the offensive line doesn't gel like we think it will, but we'll see. And then where does the explosive plays come from? In that, and that's the big thing that I'm getting at. I mean, I would still take the over on 31 and a half. But I'm not sure how much over I would go. I mean, I would be remiss to say that I would feel comfortable with 33 points per game, pretty much what they put up last year, and just move on with it. And so, like like you mentioned, depends on other things, how they are in the trenches, how physical they are. 
Uh, let's set the rushing yards per game over and under. Last year, they were essentially at 220 yards per game last year, 219.8 yards a game. What are you setting the over under this year? Because the offensive line, it feels like, and tell me if like I this is like just out of nowhere. It feels like the offensive line has more of identity this year going into the season than they did last year. Even though Walter Rouse was injured and has been re, uh, has rehabilitated, but is now practicing with the squad, I suppose. Do you think Oklahoma comes close to 220? Well, because of the way Jeff Levy runs his offense, he ba- basically just takes what the defense gives him. W- what are you thinking about this one? Because that's this is the one that I'm kind of waffling on. Yeah, this is one of the harder ones. Just because Jeff Levy's an offensive line guy, he loves to run the ball despite running, you know, that version of the air raid, the Art Bryles offense. Um, I think I would take the under on this one, but I don't think it would be like terrible. I think it'd be maybe like 190, something like that, maybe 200. Okay. I can, just I can definitely replacing see... both tackles. You know, it might be a little rough start. And I think the passing game will be a little bit better too. Sure. I I can see the <clears throat> I can see it taking a dip. I could see it staying the same again. And the reason why I say I could see it staying the staying the same is you kind of un unleash a little bit more of Dylan Gabriel's talents and or Jackson Arnold's talents as far as the QB run game. Dylan Gabriel I mean, the Nebraska run was an anomaly. That 75-yard scamper down the sideline, like, that's that was a <laughs> one-off, right? Uh, but when he does use his legs for good and just instead of just rolling out and just getting sacked and not throwing the ball away, but when he does run run the ball, it's effective, and it keeps teams guessing on where they're going. So I could easily still see around 215, 220, with Javante Barnes, who comes back, with Gavin Sawchuk, who comes back, with an offensive line that has a lot of familiar faces with the same coach, as long as they feel comfortable Dylan Gabriel also running the ball. And I'm not saying, like, Dylan Gabriel's going to run 100 yards a game. I'm saying, like, 40 yards here, 50 yards here. I think 220 would still be doable. Um, but man, that would, that would be tough. I would, I would probably set it at somewhere around, like you said, like 200 to 10, somewhere around there. Um, but I would take the under on 220. Uh, but it, that, that's a difficult one. And so going off of on the other side, a flip flip side of it on the quarterback passing touchdowns to interception, uh, ratio, for Dylan Gabriel slash Jack Arnold, because we've talked about, you know, Jack Arnold maybe supplanting supplanting Dylan Gabriel in the year if there's an injury concern or it just things aren't working out for whatever reason. You know, we saw you saw it with Spencer Rattler. I mean, it's not too far in history that we've seen a quarterback underperform and a highly touted quarterback come in and take that job and do well with it. And so Dylan Gabriel basically not playing a two games. I mean, like he started that TCU game, but he got knocked out early in that game. Right. Am I, am I re- yeah, misremembering been, that? Like first, second quarter, maybe the second it, quarter. 
It wasn't the second half. He did not play that second half. And so this man doesn't play roughly two games. Oh, you could say one and a half, whatever. And he still finishes 25 touchdowns, six interceptions. Here's the glaring stat. 62.6% accuracy rate where under Lincoln Riley since 2015, Oklahoma fans have been treated very, very kindly to above 70 percentile accuracy and completion percentage. And so seeing Dylan Gabriel, you know, 62%, that's average QB play, if we're being honest. But he plays two fewer games, essentially, of an entire season. What would you say for this over and under? Would you would you still say, what, 30 and 8 if you're on that same trajectory? Or no? How do you feel about this in general? 30 and 8 is not bad. I think they'll still turn the ball over. I think I don't think they're going to reach the seventy percent completion. I, um, I think there. if anything, it'll be improved, but maybe like sixty-five percent, very marginally. Um, just because we've seen Dylan Gabriel sail those balls over so many times, defenses are going to plan for that. So I can see him maybe letting one go, and they're like, "Hey, we know this guy likes to throw high, hole overthrow his receivers. Maybe we keep our, our, our safety back." So um, I could see some turnovers here or there. But I think he'll be a little bit improved. Obviously, you've got a lot of stuff to watch this offseason as far as, you know, what did I do wrong? So I think he'll he'll fix some things. But I don't think he's suddenly going to be a 70% completion percentage guy. So what would you set the over-under on touchdowns, interceptions, and maybe even completion percentage if you wanted to get in the nitty-gritty for that? Uh, touchdowns, I think it would go like 31.5. On that That one, Uh, interceptions, 8.5. That's pretty close to what you mentioned. Um, And then completion percentage, 65.5. Yeah, I mean, for touchdowns, especially with the early games they have, I mean, SMU, they're like not, they're a team that I don't think is going to roll over. Uh, I think that is not bad. Yeah, I think SMU is going to actually be a decent challenge for OU. Uh, to to get ready for the season. I think they're a worthy opponent that OU definitely won't be overlooking. But I feel like, like you mentioned, 31 and a half touchdowns, maybe 32, 32 and a half, 33, somewhere around there is more than fair. I was thinking eight and a half, maybe even nine and a half interceptions. Gabriel to to his you can't you can't really say fault but also to his kind of efforts. I mean, he took sacks, too many sacks. Um, and But at the same time, would you rather give up a sack or would you rather give up an interception? A sack 100% of the time, I think, because you don't want to give the and ball so, over. Even if it's so like third and long, you take a sack, you're going to punt. And so, like, if it's second down, you take a sack instead of throwing the ball into a place where you know you likely can't complete it. Uh, it's third and 18 instead of first and 10 near midfield. And so that's where I'm kind of looking at it as far as Dylan Gabriel holds on to the ball and started to throw the ball away late in the season. And so that's why I'm still having those interceptions down. And percentage-wise, Gabriel, I mean, just the way the offense is designed, 
it's not a high completion percentage offense um, in any in any word of the imagination. So I think 65 is being kind. I I would be remiss to say I think it'd be around the same 60, 63, 64. And I would take, I mean, I would take a push. I, I would say 63%. So if I went off of just last year's 63% sounds about right. 64% sounds about right. He's not going to Jalen hurts it and go from like 61% to 72% over the one, one <laughs> course of a season. That's not happening because those types of plays aren't being drawn up for him. And so I feel comfortable with saying that at all. This is the stat that jumped off me or jumped off me, jumped off the page for me, pivoting from offense to defense though. And over and unders the defense for 17 interceptions last year. I, for some reason I was just, I guess just because of how the season went, I forgot how many interceptions they forced per game. 17, it kind of it kind of just jumps off the page at you because they couldn't do that under Alex yeah. Grinch it, with with the little pressure they were getting as well. And so, so let's say 17 is the earmark for last year. Where do you put it for this year, knowing that their pass rush, it, the guys they brought in are like known commodities. You bring in Bothroyd. You have Isaiah Coe in the middle. He's more of a gap stopper. You have a uh, DeJon Terry, who's more of a guy that's going to push that pile. You have a Trace Ford. You have a R. Mason Thomas. You have uh, P.J. Adebowale. You have a lot of dudes that can get after the quarterback. You have Danny Stutzman that knows a lot more of what he's doing. And the secondary that there's so many guys back there that can make plays. And so it's hard to assess this one for me. I would say I'm putting if, if they can do 17 last year, I'm putting the over under 19 and a half. What do you what do you what do you what are your thoughts on this? And I don't know 19 is a big number too. Like that's like, you know, that's basically two almost it's close to two a game, right? If they're playing 12, it's 19 yeah. and a half. Yeah, it's about 20. It's close to two a game ish uh, or one and a half ish or 1.75, whatever you math is. What are you thinking? I kind of like the over on that because you kind of brought mm-hmm. it up. The defensive line's made better. I think one one of the areas where they struggled was just to get pressure on the quarterback. Like quarterbacks last season uh, just had all day to throw, and yep. that's part of the problem. So if you force them into, you know, maybe pushing a throw here or there, you're going to get that extra turnover a game. Um, and they have a lot of talent on that back end. Obviously, they're going to add some more um, with Peyton Bowen. Uh, being there, Reggie Pearson's a guy that, that could absolutely make an impact. So, I mean, I like the the secondary. The only thing that would hang it up is maybe that second corner spot where CJ Colden uh, used to be. You know, what do they do there? Do they go with like a Kendall Dolby, who we know he can absolutely force a turnover? Do they go younger with like a Josiah Wagner? Uh, what about Gentry? Maybe Gentry Williams. Yeah, I was going to say Gentry Williams seems to be very impressive. So, uh, that would be kind of the only caveat to to me picking over maybe I didn't use that word right but I, I like the over most of the time yeah and and that's the thing is people equate interceptions casually as defensive backs making good plays in the ball just having an I mean, eye Jonah out for the ball Lulu had an interception yeah he did uh it's gosh um <laughs> and in 
but but this is the thing. People will just like casually suggest like, oh, is the defensive back looking for the ball or are they just playing the man like they did when Alex Grinch was there as far as Kerry Cooks, right? Are they just playing the man and not the ball, trying, trying to keep the ball, ball away out. from the receiver, et cetera? Yeah, it, there you go. And and this, if that's not realistically how it works. I mean, in order to force all those turnovers, you need pressure on the quarterback. And Oklahoma, in their years in which they forced several turnovers, have gotten a lot of that pressure on the quarterback. Those years where they had Ronnie Perkins, Neville Gallimore, Jalen Redmond, they made life hell for opposing quarterbacks and it paid off on the fields as far as uh, as far as the speed d now could they hold on to those interceptions no but <laughs> besides uh trey norwood who is still with the steelers that that is like good good for him great good for trey and both camp to like plus 200 plus pounds i know steven has uh, thoughts on trey making decisions with his life uh, as far as just diving out of the way essentially but it's it's how those turnovers just cost interceptions that's all yeah you know what happens it well, not just DJ Ward, be, i'll be if fair DJ Ward, hey if dj ward makes that sack on uh oh who was their quarterback at georgia at the time was it from. still Bet- stetson it was from yeah. if dj ward makes that sack on jake from oklahoma plays alabama in the national kick. title game yeah or the squib kick but I'm saying it's Trey Norwood could have just end it. thrown his 170-pound body at Sony Michelle. Things would have been yeah. different. It happens, you know. It happens. But we also saw what happened when Robert Barnes threw his body at uh, <laughs> another product. Yeah, Josh Jacobs, who is now in the NFL, and it crippled that man's body. Um, yards giving up a game. Oklahoma gave up an average of 461 yards last season. Woof. That is so that is too many yards for any defense, let alone Oklahoma defense, let alone a Brent Venables led defense. Where are you sending that number this year? I mean, again, we talked about it. Oklahoma has competitive depth more so on the defense than they do the offensive side of the ball. Uh, and pass rushing formations in e- even on the defensive line where a lot of it is going to matter. What do you think in here? Yeah. Give me the under here. Um, you look at a, at a lot of those yards. I mean, look at, uh, look at the Kansas state game like with Adrian Martinez. Yep. Dude ran all over. OU. It wasn't passing yards. It was just a dude, you know, he drops back, doesn't see anything. Then he just takes off and runs and they, OU just wasn't there. They're, Defensive line wasn't there. Their linebackers, you know, to their credit, I mean, I think their linebackers are fine, but they, they didn't really understand the defense. They couldn't just catch up. So mm-hmm. um, I, I like the under on this one quite a bit. What if I put the over-under at 390? Uh, I'll go – I'll be optimistic. I'll go the under on that. Really? Yeah, like 380, 370, okay. something like that. And what goes into that as far as me is, again, spatial awareness on the field, uh, knowing the defense uh, a year later, being more in tune with that, but also just getting off the damn field on third downs. A lot of this yardage, yeah, a lot of this yardage racked up per, per game is a result of getting the offense to like third and four, third and five, 
and or even sometimes like third and 18 and just like crapping the bed and the offense stays on the field and keeps on going on for a drive. And I think that Oklahoma, if they get a, these guys, these offensive players off the field two times, two more times a game, that shrinks immediately to like what 80 something yards uh, as for what we saw from the Oklahoma uh, defense this past year. And so Oklahoma also forced 28 sacks. I feel like that's a really round number that we can just go over under off of that. What do you think? It's got to be over, right? I think it'd be over. Probably. The thing is like, maybe, I don't know. I would just take the over. I mean, you got Bothroyd there. You got Trace Ford. who's a third down specialist. You have some depth in the middle of that defense where you're not just susceptible after the third quarter where everyone's worn down. So I think you could go over on that. How much are in this is is not I don't think it's a silly question to ask. How much do you think Jerry Schmidt and their conditioning plays into a lot of these over and unders? Because we saw this team play, albeit frustrating at times, many times in the season, but play pretty decent in the first half maybe even a little bit of the third quarter. But once that fourth quarter rolled around and late third quarter rolled around, things started to come like almost like a ball of like, you know, yarn started to come unraveled. Do you think Schmitty plays, how much of a role do you think Schmitty and their conditioning program plays a role in that? I think just in year two in general, if you're talking about Schmitty, you heard so much about, it. I think like Gabe and Teddy talk about it. Some other podcasts have talked about it uh adjusting kind of the workouts to kind of meet the requirements they need because you look at last year that team was just gassed by like the second half of the season so maybe they're not trying to just push these guys all out you know throughout this summer we're gonna you know we're gonna get stronger you know faster that kind of thing but we're not gonna overkill it so i think you know going from like a benny wiley workout to a schmitty workout it's probably pretty hard on the body, I would imagine. Um, so maybe they just kind of ease into it this season. I think that, that yeah. will help, you know, in the long run. And that's something that I've been thinking about a little bit, too, is like the amount of shock it sends to your body. Being it's not especially being do it, but like sure. when you're three years in doing a Benny Wiley P90X workout and all of a sudden, you know, year four, you're doing like a Jerry Schmidt workout over the summer. Your your body's not prepared to do that at all like in 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 any capacity and it would make sense like why they would sputter late in games because over the course of the season people don't like people don't realize this over the course of the season i don't want to say people a lot of people don't realize it's like your casuals okay these passive consumers of college football Yes, at the very beginning of the season, those those numbers as far as height, weight, yada, yada, those are posted and those are official, especially the weight. Um, but by game seven, that weight has fluctuated and has gone likely down. A lot of these players, they lose like at least 10 pounds, five to 10 pounds over the course of the season because they're playing week every single week and they're practicing like crazy. And so 
they they lose a little bit of less, a little bit of muscle mass, et cetera, be, just because of the amount of times they're playing, the amount of reps they're getting, et cetera. And so just again, conditioning is a big deal. And so like slowly ramping it up to where they need to be by game one, instead of, all right, let's run this thing like they did last year, I think is a really good thing. Like you mentioned, it's, it's a, that's a big plus for the season. I'm really curious to see how it pays off, especially in conference play. And so I think sacks, like we just both just mentioned, I feel like it has to be over. They revamped and they just completely cleaned house. Like we mentioned, what Brent's first year, they processed like a 10, 11 guys last year. They processed or what this year, I suppose going into this year, they processed 20 something guys. They revamped that pass rush and they are still looking. I mean, Dejon Terry was a really late addition and he's a guy that's expected to contribute. Philip Pay, a guy that's expected to contribute. Isaiah Coe, contributor. Jordan Kelly, contributor. So many contributors to this defensive line already. And just adding more and more to that because Brent understands that's what you need. And so going on the other side of the ball once again, on the flip side, this number stood out to me. I was kind of shocked when I read it. Oklahoma got into the red zone 50 times last year. 50 times. I'm, and I should have done a dive on how many times he got into the red zone in years prior, especially with Lincoln Riley at the helm. Their opponents got into the red zone 58 times. Um, Oklahoma converted touchdowns on those 50 times just 35 times. And of those other 15 times, they had a chance to score. I think they missed out on six or eight times to, to, to um, score a field goal. So again, not look like not looking that great. I mean, what 15 times you take away half of them. So he's scoring 42 out of 50 uh, in 35 or touchdowns. Whereas the opponents have 58 chances, score 39 touchdowns and a few more field goals as well. And so, I guess what I'm asking is, let's say Oklahoma gets to the red zone 50 times over and under. Are you going over and under on that one? I'm looking up to see kind of where it stands on this one. It's it's below where the Lincoln Rally one was, but it kind of fluctuates. Mm-hmm. Um, I think their offense would be better. Um Look at Stogner, who's more of a traditional red zone target. Javante Barnes. I mean, I love Eric Gray. He was a stud last year, but mm-hmm. Javante Barnes is just better suited to being that red zone guy. Like we, when Eric Gray was running, Sawchuck like, hey, too. Sawchuck too. Yeah. Maybe this is where you use Marcus Major. Like he doesn't have a huge role, but he's six one. He's like two thirty. Like let him run the ball. This is his scenario. But Javante Barnes way better in the in the red zone. Um, you know, Marvin Mims kind of, he was more of a deep threat. So you look at a guy like, I mean, Farouk could be the, the red zone target. He's about six, one, maybe pushing six, two. Yeah. And then you have a lot of faster thick. guys like Drake Stoops, I think would still be in there. Cause he's just, a, he's the clutch guy, uh, but you throw in like maybe Brennan Thompson, who's just fast and go over the middle. One of those guys. Yeah. So I think you could, you could bump that up a little bit. As far as red zone, just like being in the red zone in general, because like this offense, uh, is just very conversion, quick. just a conversion. On okay, there. okay, okay, okay. Because this this offense is very quick strike. You know, like forty yards here, fifteen yards here, twenty yards here. It's not a lot of 
7, 12, 30, 10, 4, you know, stuff like that. It's very quick strike, verticals, down down and, and bubble screens, yada, yada. And so uh, the conversions, man, this one was the toughest one for me because I was already upset just by looking at the amount of chances and touchdowns they converted on in comparison to their opponents, just thinking like, this team is really damn good at getting 30 yards when they need it or 30 yards when they don't need it and really bad at getting three yards when they actually need it. And it starts in the offensive line, but it's, it's something that I'm just not sure about 50, 50 chances in the red zone. I think that goes up. I feel confident in Bill Beatenbo. I feel confident in the offensive line. I feel confident in Dylan Gabriel in his second year in Oklahoma as far as conversions, as far as that ratio, I don't know. I would say I would take the over on red zone opportunities. And because I'm taking the over on red zone opportunities, I have to take the over on red zone touchdowns. Because, I mean, it, I mean, it's right, it's right there. The more opportunities you have, the more opportunities you'll get to actually score. And so I feel like that's more of a fair point, but... It's just going to take a lot of growth, and I'm curious to see who the go-to guy is. I I was I've been looking at a lot of 2022 full games, a lot of Theo Weiss popping up there, a lot of Theo Weiss popping up there, a lot of Marvin Mims popping up there, and those guard guys are are no longer a part of that program. One is at a different university, one's in the NFL, and now you're looking at Jaleel Farouk and you're looking at Drake Stoops both of which are guys you actually feel pretty comfortable in getting off the line of scrimmage, getting a few yards here or there. Like that was kind of like their main role. And so, and with, like you mentioned, Austin Stogner, six foot seven. If he jumps a little bit higher, seven foot feet in the air and just pull it down. Like he did in the red river shootout a few years ago, not out of the equation. Stogner in the red zone, I think is actually pretty big for Oklahoma. I think Stogner in the red zone is a bigger get in the red zone than Braden Willis. Is that a hot take? I'd agree with that. I mean, he's just a huge dude. Like Braden Willis was what, six, three, six, four. Yeah. Super athletic, you know, sure. strong guy, but mm-hmm. there's a difference throwing from like six, three, six, four to six, six, you know? Yeah. That's just, I mean, like six, six, it's six, a lot seven. easier. Box your guy out, massive target, long arms. Just got to come down with the ball. And that was kind of like, (laughs) that was kind of his issue. But also, I mean, when you have Spencer Rattler and Kyler Murray throwing it over the middle to where you, what, you, what was, what was the diagnosis before the Cotton Bowl against Florida where that man lost like 30 pounds and still came back to play? Talking about Stogner? Yeah. It was like a staph infection in his leg. And it's got, it's got worse and he was hurt. And uh, I don't know. I, I just have faith in him for this right. year. And I think he's going to be a prime target, especially over the middle this year with, for Dylan Gabriel. As far as their conversion percentage, it wasn't really bad last year. They converted 70%, um, sure. 2021, 75%, 2020, 67%. So, I mean, it's right there as far as conversion. 2019, 71%. Um, I'd love it's just to their see... t- attempts in the red zone. They're about 20 less to... attempts in the red zone. Oh. 
Wait, 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 wait. Say that again. Uh, in 2022, they averaged about 20 attempts less than other seasons. I mean, 15, 20, give or take. And I would love to see that breakdown by quarter. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, you look at, uh, I, I, I watch, I, I watch that. I'm not the, I watched the biggest Bedlam. stats guy. I watched the Bedlam from last year, just the other day. And they started off on fire, 28 to nothing, or 28 to three, or whatever the heck it was, and nothing for the rest of the game. It was wild. It's so weird to, to witness that. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it's a tough one. So let's pivot to players a little bit. Last year's rushing yards. And because we text back and forth a little bit about wide receivers yesterday or the day before, but let's go to rushing yards first. Last year, Javante Barnes had 519 yards rushing from scrimmage and Dylan Gabriel actually had second most 315 yards from the line of scrimmage. Now, if I put the over and under for Javante Barnes at 900, are you taking the over like I am? I'm going to go under on that. Really? I think it's going to be more like 850. Ooh, why? You just have so many more viable runners. Uh, sure. And I think also you look at kind of what they want to do with the running back as far as like you kind of look in the past, like Smothers is a, a guy that can play receiver if he wanted to like be like a mix and roll. Uh, Tatum, they're bringing in for a reason. They can play, you know, both the run and the pass. So. I feel like they're going to mix some of those yards and those rushing attempts into like maybe a swing pass or something. Yeah. And, th- and that makes sense. I mean, they have more guys that have more experience in the room per se. I just think Javante Barnes gets the lion's share of, of carries, but at the same time, I mean, they're really excited about Smothers. They're very excited about Gavin Sawchuck. I think, Dylan Gabriel's legs unlock this offense a lot more than people do realize. I think if he becomes more of a run threat in more in, instead of that 2014 Trevor Knight, it's a fake. Everybody knows it's not an RPO. Everybody knows Trevor Knight is (laughs) not giving that ball up. So stop doing that damn play, but they just did it the entire year anyways. And that's what Dylan Gabriel pretty much did last year with the exception of a few times. And like it was supposed to be a read option, but it was never a read. It was in or an option. It was just give ball to running back. And that's what Dylan Gabriel did for the most part. And I think activating his legs a little bit more or just having those packages for D- Jackson Arnold is going to increase J- uh, if, if Gabriel by more. I mean, I would take Javante Barnes if I set the over under at 900. I would say. He's obviously not a 1,300-plus-yard guy like Gray was because Gray was the dude. It was Eric Gray, and then you had Javante Barnes there with 519, and then Dylan Gabriel. He also had some injuries, too, so. Yes, 100%. Those those Barnes yards went to to Gray. And so, like, they're a little bit inflated. And so, like, Barnes, you like what you see. You like what you get. Gabriel. I mean, he was out for two games and then Sawchuck has shown you what you want to see already. I feel good about Barnes 
Uh, I'm not surprised that you would say uh, over on 900 or 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 under because they have so many mouths to feed. But I think over uh, just because he's the guy with the most seniority. He's the guy that knows the offensive line the best. He's the guy that's been in the backfield of Dylan Gabriel the most out of everybody else on this team. Um, what about Ga- physically? Gabriel? He looks he looks built this season. I don't know if you saw that picture of, of Barnes, but. He's a dude that uh, has put some time in in the weight room. He did the opposite of the Trey Sermon, and I think it's going to pay off. <laughs> yeah. He's a dude that, that's probably put on like 10 pounds. So I'll have to go look at the the difference between last fall and this fall, but he looks significantly different. Yeah, he did the opposite of the Trey Sermon to slow to, to, to slim down and read, and uh, he looks like he bulked up and still going to read, you know, his, his offensive lineman, but more of a just run guys over instead of run around guys like Trey Sermon. Because freshman Trey Sermon was a, was beautiful. Run guys over at full speed. Yeah. And he then just he slimmed down Georgia and it was, it was weird. It was so weird. And that's, and I'm so happy to see Barnes doing it. Gabriel, let's like, let's set the over under 315. You going up or down? Uh, I'll go. I'll take the under on that one too. I don't think it'll be. It may be like three hundred, maybe a little bit less than three hundred. Okay, so but not I don't too far off them. the beaten path. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if they would just push them that much. I, the thing is, like, you could run them as long as you don't do the dumb stuff where you just like do a trick play and then just get him crushed because he's trying to catch a pass or something. Sure. I think he's a pretty smart runner. He's not like Rattler where he's just going to throw his body into every run. Like he's going to slide. Assuming like a TCU player is going to come over the top and give a concussion. But uh, you know what? I'll th- I think it's a push. We'll go push on that one. That one's that one's tough because acknowledging you have Sacha coming into the fold. You've also got other guys that you really, really like. For me, I'm taking the over uh, just because he missed two games. And I, again, just because of the wide receiver situation, I think his legs are key to unlocking this offense to be more formidable to maybe score more than 32 points per game to keep the safeties honest, to keep the cornerbacks honest. And I think it's going to be big for him, but we're going to find out, I suppose. And so let's go to those receiving yards for, for Oklahoma. I mean, you have a bunch of unproven guys. Like everybody knows it. Demetric even mentioned it. You lost out on the majority of your targets of, of your targets. You lost four of your top six targets from last year. If you are Dylan Gabriel, you lost out on Marvin Mims. You lost out on Theo Weiss. You lost out on Eric Gray. Uh, you lost out on Braden Willis, but you do return your number three and four receivers and Jaleel Farouk, who 461 uh, receiving yards and five touchdowns, which is nice. And then Drake Soup's at number four, who was actually, I was surprised by this number, almost pretty comparable to uh, Jaleel Farouk, almost 400 yards, 391 in the uh, reception yards and three touchdowns. The only guy that pulled in receptions that averaged 35 yards or more per game was actually Marvin Mims. Everybody else averaged 35 yards or below. And so going off of that, 
we talked a little bit, I think last night, you said Farouk 850 uh, receiving yards. Is that your over-under? You'll go 850 for that. I think that's a pretty fair number. Would you push over or under for it? Like, and it's close. Because he's got to be your number one. I would take the over because you don't have, you don't really have like an explosive guy. And we know Farouk, he's fast. He's got the big body. Mm -hmm. Um, He's a guy that has shown the ability to make those explosive plays, especially once you go in these first couple weeks, that's kind of going to be the go-to target before someone else emerges. Right. So. I could see him going over. Um, I don't think he's a thousand yard receiver, um, but you know, give me the over. Why are you, and why don't you think he's a thousand yard receiver, but you feel like he's like really that close? Because I mean, like, you know, 150 yards or 100 yards between a, I mean, that is just like two big plays. Yeah. I mean, you usually know who your thousand yard guys are going to be. Like, they just pop out on film. And to me, like, Jill Lafruc hasn't done that. But he could be, like, a Charleston Rambo guy. Mm. And, you know, he's going to put up numbers, but maybe he's not, like, the most elite guy in the field. Sure. And I would say, to your A50, I would say I would take the under on it just simply because um, I think it's going to be wide receiver by committee. I think it's going to remind us a lot of that Joaquin Iglesias group where there was no really true number one, but you just had a quarterback that distributed the ball that made the right reads. And um, they don't really have a real number one guy yet that has emerged. I mean, you've got a lot of guys, you got a lot of names that Brent dropped. We talked about it last week, but um, I, I take Andrew, the under. Anthony's a guy that could, Put a dent in that because they're pretty similar stature. I think Anthony. I think might that's be what I'm going off. Tad, of. tad bigger than him, but it's close. It's, and see, that's what I'm going off. Of. There's so many unknowns within that wide receiver room that I want to pump the brakes on it because it's like Julio Farouk should be that guy in his junior year, big bodied, thick, but has that explosiveness. His thighs are huge. His calves are huge. The dude has plenty of burst and strength. It's a matter of going up and getting those balls. And then I also look at Jaden Gibson. I look at Nick Anderson. I look at Andrew Anthony. Like you mentioned, these are guys on the outside. Brennan Thompson, the guys on the outside, they're just blazers uh, that are uh, in homage to the former Oklahoma City hockey uh, team. But uh, guys are just blazers that are going to... By the way. Say, you still have one? So if, if anyone knows... I want one. So if anyone knows oh. where to get one, DM me. I need to, my parents are getting rid of stuff in their attic. I will. I, and I know <laughs> I bought one when I was a child and it was like an XXL. I bet, I bet I should, I could get you one or you should go to thrift store. I suppose. I don't know. I, we'll have to see, but yeah, I'm in the market for one, but I mean, but back to the podcast, the wide, the wide receivers are so tough. Uh, but, I think around 800 is still fair for Jalil Farouk, but it wouldn't surprise me at all to see 700 and other numbers to be around 200, 300, and just to be dispersed somewhat, not necessarily evenly, but just dispersed around. What Now, what about Drake Stoops? His one, his is the one I'm really looking at. 
let's just say it's 400 yards. Okay. It's 391. He's not, he's basically a first down shy of being 400 yards. If 400 is the over under, what do you take in? Because he's the guy with the most experience. He's the guy that everybody, if you're a wide receiver comes to you to ask you questions on route running, if they're not going to Emma Jones, what is his over and under? If, if it's 400, are you taking the over or are you taking the under on that one? I'll go with a fun, a fun one. Let's go with the over on Drake. I'll go 420. Yeah. Yeah. 421 would have been useful uh, if you're but not, not the Trajan Bridges people. 420. Yeah. 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 Hey, he, I think last time I saw him, he got a offer from East Central and Ada. So he's still trying to do his thing. So good for yeah, him. his to dad. Try to turn around. Tweet him out in a workout. So I mean, he looks good. I just don't know I who's going to take him. May hope. Also hurts right. that you haven't played football, but yeah. Like, to me, true. Drake Stoops, his role in the field is not at stake. Like, like Jalil Farouk, I think he could split a little bit of time with Andrew Anthony, or they both play on the field and they kind of do the same thing on opposite sides. But they don't really have a Drake Stoops that can just make the clutch play. Really good route runner, um, solid hands, pretty much knows the entire playbook. Um, I just don't see that guy in the slot there. Other than Drake, right? Yeah, just Drake. I mean, you could like make the argument for Jaquez Petaway is going to play the slot, but I don't think he's going to take that many slot uh, that many snaps away from Drake Stoops because you want him on the field. And that's why I put him. That's why I put him at four hundred. <laughs> That's why I put him at 450 yards and it was very, very tempting to put him at 500 because I'm going to be, if, if I'm looking at it from my perspective, not knowing what the wide receiver room really has because they're not proven. They just aren't. Everybody knows it. I've said it a million times. Everybody said it a million times. He's the guy that's going to be on the field the most often. And he's going to be the guy that is communicating a lot of things other than Dylan Gabriel. And it's, it's hard to say that the guy's going to knock that the guy's going to be on the field most often, not just for wide wide receiver, like catching purposes, but also for blocking assignments. This guy's a will, will sacrifice his body for a simple <laughs> block to gain four yards. He's going to be on the field the most often. And how can I not say that with all the other wide receivers that were once there are now gone. And now he's going to be on the field very, very frequently. And so for me to say huh, 450 yards, just 50, basically 50 yards more than last year seems a little bit much. Uh, seems a little bit too, uh, not, not enough. Excuse me. 500 yards seems like a decent watermark. Am I like going overboard here for Drake Stoops or is that, is this somewhat rational? You said 500. Yeah. I think go take the under. By like, I think much? all of his yards are going to be very meaningful. I think I like 450. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but so I don't see him like he's long. not an explosive guy. He's just a guy that gets those. Maybe it's a 20 yard player. Maybe it's a 30 sure. yard play, but he's not going to break away down the field. He just doesn't have the kind no. of speed. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's your slot receiver that is going to find holes in the zone. I mean, that's, that's what he is. And we, we talked about it. And I said, I, I asked you, I think the first question I asked you was, Drake Stoops is an NFL guy, right? Yeah. Wasn't he that my fight? Wasn't it. that my intro to to like texting you like yeah, late you at night, me at like eleven o'clock, and you're like, "Hey, what do you think about Drake Stoops in the NFL?" 
And yeah, like, like he's got to be minimal, guy, right? He's going to make like a practice squad, but I think he would make like a 53 man. Oh, okay. I just got a text message. Uh, new Sooners on three prediction. Oh, okay. Another guy just got flipped. So, yeah, okay. Tatum and whatever. Okay, well, that group chat will find out in this podcast. Anyways, but yeah, it. <laughs> he seems like a guy that's going to make the NFL. That could make a dent in like the production of like a Farouk or an Angel Anthony or whoever you want to put out there is DJ Graham, Drake Stoops' roommate. Because we know DJ Graham, he has excellent hands, good speed, sure. incredible athlete. He just didn't know the playbook. Are you buying the Kool-Aid? And what, what better way to learn it than your roommate Drake Stoops? Are you sipping on that Kool-Aid? Are you are you just, gonna, are you sipping the Kool Aid? Are you or are you drinking it? Like you know what I mean? Like when Squidward tries the Krabby Patty for the first time, <laughs> he takes that tiny bite. Or are you actually like drinking on the Kool Aid? What do you think? I have <sighs> a very low bar for DJ Graham at, at wide receiver at that late stage in his career. But at the same time, like, like you me mentioned, DJ Graham, he's gonna get five hundred. I think he no, really, yeah. why? That's on my I mean, I'm not, I'm he's I'm just not a discounting guy that, him. I mean, he's got the speed to get deep, and we we know he can make people miss in the open field, or sure. even you know he can he can break a tackle. He's a strong dude, and they don't like Andrew Anthony. He's just a fast guy. Sure, but we saw in the spring game, DJ Graham knows how to make a move after the play. Like he's yeah. not going to just get hit and then you know maybe get dragged down for another yard. Like he can make a move. He has the speed to break away. All he has all the intangibles to be a good wide receiver. That one's really tough for me, man. <laughs> I mean, as a former cornerback, definitely has more field awareness than a lot of the other wide receivers, I think. Especially the speedsters, like we were talking about, like guys that are just like, oh, I'm running a vert again. Okay, cool. You know? Um it's hard for me to see 500. I would say now, if you said 300, I would say, mm, I think that's definitely doable for a guy that this route tree is not hard to learn. You're learning slants. You're learning uh, bubble screens, tunnel screens, and verts. You're not, the route tree is not particularly uh, at, at all complicated. Marvin Mims even alluded to it in his, and is basically his exit interview from OU into the NFL. He's like, yeah, I need to work on my route running because we didn't really do that in Levy's offense. And so that's the thing that gives me hope is that DJ Graham is very athletic. He continues to improve his stock. His roommate, like you said, is the guy to go to if you're a wide receiver that needs help. And so I would say I would take the way under 500, like go maybe 250, 300. But it's intriguing. Just the mystery of the offensive uh, weapons that they have as far as wide receiver. I'm fine with the running backs at Javante Barnes and Gavin Sawchuk. You got to like this way you see there, uh, especially with the bowl game in mind, but it's, it's just so interesting, but I think I let's, let's, let's talk about the, the team as a whole to end this over under segment. That I just have one more thing that is super important. Of course, Oklahoma has more competitive depth. Brent Venables and the entire team has mentioned it over and over and over and over. I don't think it's a talking point. I think it's a legitimate thing. Do you agree with that? I agree with that. 
I think across the board, like starting a quarterback, obviously you have Jackson Arnold there and not Davis Bevel, but then you run down to like running back. You got two dudes that you think could probably maybe not make a huge impact, but you can play them if you needed to. Yep. Wide receiver. We know, you know they have a ton of dudes. They're just unproven. Yeah. Offensive line. They kind of stocked up on the transfers. So someone's going to emerge there. And even, even if they don't, you have someone you can kind of plug and play. Yeah. So like offensively, end, I think you're in a better spot outside. Yeah. Outside of tight end. Defense. It's clear, right? Yeah. Especially on the defensive line. You look mm-hmm. at that. We talked about linebackers like all month. As far as how many linebackers they have. So defense is very clear. We talked about it. Like like you mentioned, defensive line. Secondary two, especially the safeties. Corners may be a little bit more of a question mark, but sure. Safeties I feel pretty good about. The front six or seven takes care of it. The corners' lives will be immensely easier. Um, So let's go off of last year. Six wins. Over-under. Over, of course it's over. Imagine the replies to this if if we all went uh, under on this. Because yeah, now let's let's. I know we we've been a little bit vocal about our over and unders for the season in general. Um, of course we didn't. The plan for this podcast was not this. We switched it at the last moment because camp hasn't even started yet. We want to know more things out of camp before we really get into the nitty gritty of certain things. But. I've been pretty vocal, I think, about eight and a half wins as the over and under. And I think I take the over every time around nine. If you're Vegas, what are you setting it at? Is this still eight and a half? Or is it 9.5. Okay. Why? Uh, just lack of explosive teams in the Big 12. I mean, your schedule, you don't have to play Baylor. That's that's one of the tougher teams you've played in the recent years. I mean, you have pretty much the easiest schedule, and your road games outside of maybe like I mean, BYU would be tough because it's always a tough atmosphere, and sure. BYU is a, a seasoned team, but they're not overly talented by any means. Right. Like every game, I think you're going to be favored in outside of Texas, mm-hmm. and then we really don't know what TCU is. Like TCU would be the other question mark like what do they do with with the Kendall Bryles offense how does Chandler Morris right. fit in there uh we know they got a, a lot of good transfers in the transfer portal but what is it going to look like yeah so is TCU going to be like a repeat of last year or are we looking at like the TCU a couple years ago where they're a good team but not a great team I think that's the TCU we're looking at Max Duggan was the heart and soul of that team and once he was going under that entire team was going under and like you mentioned they brought in a lot of transfers last there. year. Like if you're if you hit 50% on your transfers that are productive and good players, you're doing well. TCU yeah. the thing is like over they don't 50%. have that, that big receiver. Like Quentin Johnson was just a monster. And they're gonna try to replace him with like a JoJo Earl who's more of a slot guy who can absolutely play. He's explosive, but sure. just different. Not that guy. And Oklahoma, I think they're gonna I think they're gonna hit more than than 50% on their transfers. I mean, a lot of them are on the defensive side of the ball and we can see a lot of them playing. Uh, it's, I think it's just simply as put as that. So I, I would say eight and a half, I would take the over. You say uh, nine and a half. I would nine and a like half in the over. And I would say the over too, <laughs> just by schedule, 
like looking at the schedule, looking at the Big 12 landscape, looking at Oklahoma, looking at what they were last year to this year, um, I would be remiss to say, duh, they're definitely getting more than six wins. And then I would say eight and a half, that seems fair. Nine and a half seems also pretty fair. Definitely taking the over an eight and a half. I think they win more than eight games. Nine and a half, that's fun. Like, give me 10 wins in the regular season at least. Um, and it's it's intriguing. I would I would maybe not maybe I'd probably take the over on that one too. I think that Texas game's tough. You might slip up here or there in the regular season too, and on a, on a game that OU typically does, but I don't foresee them winning only one or two more games than they did in comparison to last year with the amount of growth they have had physically um, and mentally from last year as well. And so going on to the last segment, SEC media days is happening. And by the way, it's going to be in Dallas next year. So in, in SEC media days, (laughs) you do not have to be a big J journalist. You don't have to be a big B blogger. You can be a fan and go. And the fact that it's in Dallas pisses off a lot of big 12 uh, fans, which is just hilarious to me by now. Um, and SEC official media days, uh, the, the officials, cause on the second day, they always come out and they talk about new rules or whatever. And of course they talked about Oklahoma and Texas this time, because they're going to be in the conference this time next year. They said, and we thought, oh, once Oklahoma goes to the SEC, all bets are off, horns down. It's going to be totally cool, as much as a, a middle finger, you know? And they came out and said it's a case-by-case scenario. No taunting to players on the bench or the opposing team. How do you feel about that? Um, is the like opposing team, is that counting the fans? And that's where the question mark lies with me is like, I can remember Keywan Jones running into the end zone, getting knocked down. And immediately, as soon as he gets into the end zone, just like taking both of his and just like put it down in the end zone, not to a Texas player, but just to the fans in near the end zone, whether they're Texas fans or Oklahoma fans. And so I wonder what is case by case mean? And why did again, West Virginia ruin this? for that rivalry it's a rival it's supposed <laughs> well, to be Ball's fun it. it's supposed to be fun it's like in like an nba in basketball trash talk and is is an essential part of the game during the game and simply doing a hand gesture not even a middle finger just a hand gesture of theirs upside down could be a 15-yard penalty and so case by case what does that mean and so like they went on to explain a little bit more. Oh, well, no taunting to players or the bench of the opposing team. But I can I see think if you're going to taunt another player, like you're expecting a flag anyways. Sure. So I can see that. That doesn't really move the needle for me. The thing is, like, if, let's say, an OU player scores in the Red River rivalry now, name change, or they're changing it back. It's whatever. Uh, I don't know. And they go up and do the horns down to you know, the Texas side, or maybe like some of the, what do they call the guys in the Texas and they're not the roughnecks like OU has, but you know, the male cheerleaders know. that Texas likes to have put the, down there. They have their frillies that on like them the too. Or that's always, yeah. yeah. The Texas fans and, you know, 
the ancillary people on the sideline, I don't think that should be a flag. No, exactly. Like when Delarian Turner Yale went to give him the ball and they smacked it out of his face. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, I I mean, I I was surprised. Taunting the fans is just fine. That's just part of college football. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, if you're doing it to a player, sure, throw the flag. But I think, you know, if a player is going to go up to another player and do horns on their face, they know what they're doing. Like they know that's taunting or anything else that they do. It's for me, it's just the hand gestures. I mean, if anybody's played football, I mean, like we've played football, you know what happens on the field. You know, far worse things are said in between plays and even sometimes during plays between opponents than a hand gesture of the other teams like school like spirit mascot upside down in the fact that oh yeah those goal line stands yeah offensive line and defensive line you don't mic those up for a reason and and suddenly just a, a small hand gesture of a horns down is 15 yards but none of the talk and any of the antics between that hell far worse things happen when a fumble happens at the bottom of that pile when people are grabbing on each other's family jewels and eye gouging. Going for eyes, ankles. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's. You occasionally yeah. get like a punch or a kick or something like that. It's, it's just absurd to me. Like they're teenagers and early 20 year olds. Let them just have fun. Like it used to be. I mean, when did this, when I, I forget when that rule went to a, in effect that, it was suddenly not cool to do horns down at all. 17? Something like that? Because that would have been Baker's last year, and I think Will Greer as well. And and realistically, in, in the past, it hasn't really been a problem. Right? No, I, I think the SEC is just getting ahead of it. I, like, I don't think they're going to throw the flag that many times. But they can't just say, yeah, just run wild with it. Sure. I mean, no, I mean, you've had, it what, makes sense. Six years of not allowed, not allowed to do the horns down. All of a sudden, you come to the SEC and it's allowed. I mean, it's just going to go overkill. So I could sure. see why they say it, but I don't think they're going to just be like, okay, yeah, just the horns down, let's throw the flag. Like, I think they'll just let it go. Like, shit, like, is... they, they, coach, they referee the Iron Bowl. It's fine. And that, that, was, that was the next thing I was going to bring up is Alabama Auburn. I'm like, if they can do the Iron Bowl, and they can do Bama LSU or all the other ones where they are having Alabama, tons of Tennessee, rivalries. The Egg Bowl, then, Ole Miss and Mississippi exactly, State. Exactly. Exactly. They can do all of those. I understand why Horns Down is maybe being a little bit more, but maybe maybe it's just like, again, like you mentioned, more moderated than it is just a hands-off no, like uh, the Big 12 is currently doing. So it's, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, Sark's face and do it. It's gonna be awesome. That would be beautiful. But you're gonna get 15 yards. Also fair. But if I'm gonna go up to Sark, like I'm gonna like do like a little drinking motion, like a vodka <laughs> bottle. I'm not gonna hit with the horns down. Hey, I'm just trying to hydrate. Or like a no. Oh man, what was that? Didn't they have like the the monkey that got loose and like ripped some kid's face off or bit a kid or something? Oh, the uh, the assistant coach, his uh, his yeah, his his exotic dancer of a uh, of a. Uh, 
of a uh, companion had a monkey. That pole assassin. That's what it was. Pole, yeah, pole assassin. assassin that hurt a kid during. Yeah, I'm gonna Halloween. hit Stark with something way more special than a, a horn's down. Yeah. Yeah, like Breck and Hager too. You know, all, all that good stuff. But well, they just beat the shit out of him. <laughs> that they did. And I actually like, tried to cut his hair with a Bowie knife and like almost cut his hand off. They had to stitch that thing up. He looked like he looked, <laughs> yeah, he, like that one arm looked like a Frankenstein's monster arm. Like there were several stitches. That man needed to be careful. If only he had more precision with the knife as he did as a linebacker. But I mean, that's that's all I've got, dude. We've got a lot of over unders and we've got some horns down, no taunting. SEC dive into the SEC a little bit early. That's a little bit fun. Um, do you have anything else left? Uh, join the Discord. We talked about recruiting earlier. It's about to... It could go wild for Oklahoma. It could be a very special year. It could be a very special end of the month and uh, into August. So you're going to want to be in there. We dropped, we dropped a little bit of info earlier uh, last week and some info today. So um, it's a good time. You can just casually talk about recruiting um, the upcoming season, SEC, Big 12, uh, any sort of realignment with the Pac-12, ACC. It's all going on right there. So uh, it's free to join. There's over 200 members, and uh, I mean, you can join through either the podcast link or DM one of us mm-hmm. uh, for a link to the Discord. Yeah, uh, and I'm gonna echo that. I mean, it's it's legitimately a community where, like, you can go to the general chat. There's so many other options you can go to: fantasy sports, fantasy football. You can meet a link up with friends there too. Uh, video games and all kinds of other things. Like there are so many Thunder, channels I, within it. I might actually start taking uh, part of the Thunder channel. We'll mm. see. That's fun. Like I there, might be so buying much. in. And there's there's a lot of people that are going to be willing to respond to any sort of inquiry like you may have on the Discord, whether it be I, Steven, or anybody else that's like super awesome in that Discord. Um, so I'm going to echo that sentiment. It's going to be in the bio of the podcast, but also like Steven said, DM us or just tweet at us or thread at us. I don't know <laughs> what, what, what they call those, that, that what, what they're what they're calling those threadings. Um, but yeah, that's all I've got. You guys can follow us on Twitter. You can follow me, Kamiar, at K underscore Moravian or Steven at OYFDSB. We're going to have some more information. You guys should be expecting good news on Friday for for a specific running back we talked about, Taylor Tatum. Um, looks like he is going to be a sooner, like Steven mentioned, the worst kept secret so far with more to come before the season even gets here. So we will have another podcast for you guys next week. Thank you guys for listening per usual and we'll take you guys later. <laughs>